I identify as a feminist. I think when I say it's become capitalistic, it's become too focused on being, you know, like a lady boss, like this idea that being empowered as a female means that you have to have it all, like the career, the money, the independence and all that. And I think that that is cool for some women, but it's not for all women. For me, feminism would fail its mission if it excluded women that wanted to just be mothers or wanted to be something else that didn't want to do all of that. That was Wise Blood. And this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. We kick off 2023 with a critically acclaimed artist whose new album arrived just six weeks before the end of the year, but still managed to make it onto nearly every year-end best-of list, including my own, Natalie Meering's fifth album, As Wise Blood. And In the Darkness, Hearts Aglow is the second in a trilogy, which she began in 2019 with the universally acclaimed Titanic Rising. A multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, and producer with a voice that often draws comparisons to Karen Carpenter and songs that sound right at home next to Harry Nilsson's, Natalie was born in Southern California and grew up singing in choirs before picking up the guitar at age eight. After a few moves, her family settled in the Philadelphia area, and Natalie's musical interest veered to noise rock and experimental music. Starting out in the underground music scene in the mid-2000s, Natalie released her first album as Wise Blood, The Outside Room, in 2011. Each album progressively evolved sonically into what it is today, but as you're about to hear, Natalie Mehring's dual nature and exploration of light and darkness, creation and destruction, clarity and dissonance, and yes, feminine and masculine is always present in constant conversation with itself and is what makes her brilliant creativity all at once modern and nostalgic. I'm thrilled to welcome Wise Blood as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Natalie Mearing, aka Wise Blood, welcome to Shiro's Radio. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And in the Darkness, Hearts Aglow is your fifth studio album. It was definitely one of my favorites of 2022, and I know so many agree. How's it been feeling to see it land on so many year-end best-of lists? I'm really grateful because it came out so late in the year. It's cool that people still considered it. And I think when I saw you last, I don't even know if you'd done any shows yet. And I know that the big tour is coming up, but what was it like doing these songs live? It was really cathartic. It was really um, a big relief because I kind of had always wanted to play the record live ever since we recorded it. A lot of the songs are recorded live. So yeah, it was really meaningful for me because I've been waiting a long time. Let's talk a little bit about the process since you just said when you recorded the album, a lot of it was made live. I would love to continue that thread. And can you just take us into those rooms where you recorded the record and maybe even a step back before that, like what led into those sessions? 
Well, it was coming out of lockdown and I guess the vaccine had just come out. So it's like we started those sessions kind of masked and really cautious. And then we kind of got to, you know, open it up. And that was pretty psychedelic going from being full-blown lockdown masked to unmasked. And everybody was pretty exhausted right off the bat because it's like nobody was coming off of that with like a ton of energy. But when we all got in the studio together and, and kind of started again, that's when the energy really came out. And it was like, yeah, kind of like an unfurling of all this pent up energy. And you recorded it in a couple of places. And it really clicked in my head that it also somehow embodied the two sides of your art, your music, your journey. There was this very every moment matters, high end, beautiful, pristine space, you know, where Pet Sounds was recorded and also a much more raw of the moment kind of a situation too. I think you had said that you kind of deconstructed what you had constructed and that's how we get the magic of how this album sounds. Can you talk to us a little bit about those two sides? Yeah, I think at East West, we were really just trying to capture that room sound because the room is so incredible and the chambers where the reverb happens are so touched or something. They just have like an extra shimmer. So we recorded a lot of things live with a bunch of people in the room together. And it almost became too pristine, especially with like strings and all these orchestral instruments. It sounded so pristine because it was recorded so perfectly. So we took it to Rado Studio and ran a bunch of things through tape and kind of like kicked the tape machines and did weird stuff to send it to a different universe and also just condense the audio into thinner tracks. And yeah, that's kind of the mixture is this big, wide, kind of open in the room recording with stuff kind of running through tape on top of it. Is there any one of the tracks that you would say like, now, for example, if you listen to this, that's where you can really hear that. Yeah, I would say like Grapevine and Hearts Aglow, the strings and the tubular bells are treated in that way. I mean, you probably couldn't tell a difference because most usage of strings and tubular bells on classic recordings go through the same process of being recorded on multi-track and then kind of mixed down to one or two tracks. So it ends up just sounding classic, but that is actually a trick that people have been doing for a long time. So yeah, the tubular bell, you can kind of hear the tape artifacts on that track. Emotional cowboy. Natalie Mearing is here with us on Shiro's Radio. The new Wise Blood album is And in the Darkness, Hearts Aglow. You wrote this actually typewritten letter. You said, I was asking a lot of questions while writing these songs. And I wanted to ask if you would expand on that, dive into that a little bit deeper. What questions were you asking yourself? I think I was just trying to get down to the root cause of everybody's disillusionment. Like, how could we be living in the most convenient time in terms of access to things and how that still kind of creates this existential sickness in a lot of people and how a lot of people are very unfulfilled with their work 
and generally isolated. There's just like a disintegration of the social fabric that feels like it's been happening slowly for so long that it's hard to really gauge the sources that are causing all these irrevocable changes. So I think it takes a little bit of a nuanced conversation and and kind of like going deeper subterranean style into yourself and checking out your relationship with intimacy and the rest of the world and recent events and abstract information, you know, because we're so inundated with information about everything that's going awry and especially with the climate crisis and the economy and the war and like all these things that we have so much information on, but in terms of what are the actionable things to do, I think people get a little confused. And so that's kind of the pathway of my questions is like, what is the root cause? What can we actually do? And how can we, you know, field all these chaotic energies on a daily basis? Can I ask what tools you used to find the answers to those questions? I guess my brain. I'm just writing. <laughs> but were there any like external sources that you turned to? Were there books that you read to find answers? Was there a practice or practices that you turned to to find some answers? Um, I guess that's very personal. Um, I mean, yeah, I read a lot of books. I especially loved this book, Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Tyson. And I really love this book, The Culture of Narcissism by Charles Losh, and this book, The Unsettling of America by Wendell Berry. And those books, I think, kind of showed, you know, a little bit about how in a world, in a society that does not respect cycles at all, you know, there's no cycles of death and rebirth with fossil fuels or with anything that happens culturally now, because everything is perfectly preserved archivally on the internet forever. Um, You can see that that's a problem. So yeah, I think that meditation and reading and just kind of going inward and maybe just not buying into everything so much. So interesting. Every conversation that I've been having with people about the work that they made in the past year, two years, they've been pandemic records, right? And so every pandemic record takes a different tone, a different shape. There are some commonalities. I think vulnerability was a big theme. And your album is so vulnerable. I mean, I think almost like encouraging us to be more vulnerable. Does that resonate with you? Am I getting that right? Yeah, definitely. I think vulnerability is important. I think that it's easy to try to kind of sculpt a persona about who you are and you don't necessarily have to be that person behind the scenes because the disconnect between our avatar, social media self and our real self is pretty wide. So I think more people actually front than ever before. So Uh I I think it's important to drop the front. I've read somewhere that, speaking of fronts, that you felt like in the beginning of your career, in fact, I have this quote here, you used to mute your sexuality and your femininity so you could be considered a peer and a bro. (laughs) (laughs) And I related to that so strongly personally, and I also related to it through the lens of all these Shiro's conversations that I've had to pull from one of your own songs of it's not just me, it's everybody. You know, it's like we all have that, I think, to one degree or another as part of our female experience, but in particular in music. And I was hoping you could speak to us a little bit about that journey for you. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just, you know, being a teenager and interpreting feminism in that way. And feminine qualities, I misinterpreted as weakness. Like if you came to the show in high heels, you're going to look stupid because you couldn't, you know, run around and mosh. 
or, you know, you couldn't wear clothes that were pointless. Everything had to be very utilitarian and you had to be at the same level as the men to be taken seriously. So it was an interesting skill set because it did, you know, at the time really work. But in hindsight, I'm like, oh yeah, that the high heels and the skirt are not weakness. That's just something else. You know, there, there was something that kind of emerged post that kind of black and white extremism of if I'm going to be taken seriously, I have to be very masculine. I think now we're kind of blessed to be in a time where that's not as much the case and femininity is celebrated as being very strong. But yeah, at the time, I just wanted to be in the hierarchy with men and show that they didn't need to defer to one another, that they could also defer to me. And have you found that as your career has gotten more and more successful, that it's become easier for you to have a voice in the room, whether that be in the studio or in a live setting? Yeah, I think that more and more I feel, yeah, like I've proven myself in in a way where I haven't actually had to deal with that energy in a really long time. But yeah, I think any woman, no matter how powerful, if you get in a studio full of men, they will naturally defer to one another. Kind of subconsciously, the dominance hierarchy exists with them in a way that's very natural and and not actually very personal. So it's like if you exhibit any signs of confusion inevitably somebody's going to sweep in there and be like, well, I think I know what you should do, you know, and and it's only natural and it's not personal. And as long as you know that you can kind of navigate around it and not feel so silenced. That is such a smart piece of advice. Like, I feel like I would love to extract that little piece of advice and broadcast that out to so many women who struggle in those situations and have a reaction. We go into reaction mode Mm -hmm. there. Well, I do think it's like if men tend to be more subconsciously prone to a dominance hierarchy, then yeah, any signs of fear or uncertainty for them is like, oh, we've got to put you down at the bottom Mm because somebody confident has to be up here to like call the shots, you know, and that's not, that's not coming from this place of like, oh, you're a woman, you don't know what you want. It's just more subconscious. So I think when you don't get mad at the situation, you just kind of learn how to occupy it with your own strength. I think everybody is actually very open to a female leader. That's so good to hear. Natalie Mearing is here with us. Wise Blood, the new album is And in the Darkness, Hearts Aglow. As we've been talking about all of these topics, I keep thinking about God Turn Me Into a Flower. And I'd love to play a little clip of that here. And I know that this was also one of the first songs that you wrote for this record. Is that right? Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about this song and how that fit in with your journey of making this album? Did you know that you were making an album when you wrote it? Yeah. And I mean, I was really influenced by the myth of Narcissus because I had always kind of interpreted it that he was so vain that he kind of became obsessed with his reflection and narcissism was really this kind of vain self-obsession. But ultimately, the real crux of the myth is that he becomes obsessed with the reflection but doesn't realize that it's himself. He thinks it's some otherness, some other person, and he eventually kind of withers away in that obsession and God turns him into a flower at the end as kind of like a sign of being soft and and pliable is actually how to live and being rigid and structured in a way is equal to death. And I, I think a lot of people kind of need that takeaway. I think we've become very rigid and we've become pretty obsessed with the concept of like a frontier or an otherness or like a better version of ourselves or a better version of technology. And we kind of lose sight that as we continuously try to conquer nature, we're missing the whole point that we are nature, that the reflection and wherever we're trying to go is really already within ourselves. So that just seemed really prescient and um, finding a way to put it in a song that's kind of hymnal and really 
minimal while still being a journey to listen to was fun because at first I was like, oh, this, this is just three chord changes and a couple words, but we had a lot of fun in the studio making it a little bit more than that. As long as I stand to face the crowd to know my name to know it's It's good to be soft when they push you down Oh God, turn me to flower God turned me into a flower, it falls in the middle of the new album by Wise Blood and in the Darkness, Hearts Aglow, Natalie Mearing is here with us on Shiro's Radio. I'm Carmel Holt. It's a song that mentions God. I know that you grew up in a somewhat religious household. How often have you included God in your songwriting? Uh, this might be the first time, but so many people are doing it now. It's really popular. God is super back in vogue. <laughs> God's back. Yeah, no, everybody has some song with God in it or some t-shirt that says God. I think some people kind of found it a little ironic and then all of a sudden it was also meaningful. What did it mean for you? I think it just is kind of referencing a higher power and a force beyond yourself and also something you ask, you know, if we can't really comprehend the greater energies that impact us on a subconscious level that we can't really see, I think asking and the concept of prayer is actually still really relevant even if you're not a Christian. If you're not like a dogmatic believer in the Western version of God, I still think that the concept of seeking and, and kind of going inward and asking is still relevant for anybody. You seem like such a keen observer of the human condition and spirituality and so tuned in in that way. Can you pinpoint a time where that curiosity and that kind of sensitivity may have really kicked into gear? Or have you always been that way, do you think? I think I've always been that way. You know, you can't really trace back when it started. It could be in the DNA, you know, mm -hmm. I could have just been born this way. But um, mm -hmm. but yeah, no, I've always been very, very aware of what other people are feeling and, and very aware of what I'm feeling. And it's always been on 11, like just full blast. Even when I was a little kid, no matter what, everything was extreme. So I yet like to say I have like extra emotional software. My, my Adobe suite of emotions is plentiful. So what a great thing that you found an outlet like music for that. Yeah, no, music is perfect for people that think too much and feel too much for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to also talk about your musical background since I just asked you questions about where this began for you as a kid. And we touched on this a little bit the last time that we talked, but I loved hearing about little Natalie. You started off, I think, on the piano before you got a guitar, right? Yeah, I was playing piano and minimally playing guitar and singing a lot. When did songwriting start to come into the picture for you? Well, I wrote my first song when I was four because my mom was writing songs and I was kind of trying to be like, I can do that too. So I wrote a really silly song that I used to like ride around on my little tricycle in the kitchen. I just ride around the island in the kitchen over and over again, singing it, probably driving everybody crazy. Do you remember um, what it was? I think it was like, don't go away. 
Please don't go, oh, don't go away. Something like that. I don't know. It's a bop. I it love it. It was a total bop. It was, yeah. you know, early 90s bop. But um, <laughs> I started writing more like the songs that become the songs of now when I was like 12 or 13, when I got really into the guitar and I was writing a lot of like finger style and kind of folkier instrumental, just weird chord changes songs. And I was really into post-rock and stuff like that. And then I think it was around 16 or 17 that it was like I started writing a lot more lyrics. Yeah, because your lyrics are incredible too. And also just to listen to you talk, I mean, the way that you put words together is just so beautiful. It's like poetry. Actually, I was going to ask you if you've ever thought of writing prose or poetry. I have written poetry. I did my first poetry reading this year, which was really exciting to read poems that weren't attached to music. And yeah, I'd love to write books and I have little things I've started and stopped. I mean, writing a book really is a confidence thing. It's like, as soon as you think you can do it, it's super easy. But I think for a long time I was like, oh, I'm not, you know, learned enough or I'm not intellectual enough, but I feel lucky that people have kind of pushed me based on just my songwriting and talking. They're like, yeah, you could probably write. And I look forward to writing my first book whatever it may be, if it's autobiographical or just abstract. Um, I don't know. I think about Hearts Aglow and you were talking about how it's like a glow stick when you crack it open. <laughs> yeah. It only glows more. These kinds of things kept coming to me as I was listening to this record over and over again, that there's all of these very big messages. And I was wondering, is that something that ever feels overwhelming to you as being an empath you put that out there and then what you receive in return, you know, because it is a conversation with your fans. Every once in a while, if, if I'm out and somebody will come up to me and tell me like, hey, your music really helped me through this time or like, you know, it means so much to me, I'll get emotional. Like I'll mm -hmm. feel that and it'll make me emotional. And like I've had people come up to me and tell me that and I like tear up a little bit because I'm just still in a state of shock that um that I completed the mission, you know, of mm -hmm. taking my pain and, and my experiences and distilling it into something more universal. And it still to this day shocks me that I pulled that off. So anytime somebody comes up and says something like that to me, I really feel it. And I also imagine them going through a rough time with my music. And I think I wish you had more than just my dopey music, but you know, <laughs> if that works, that works. You know, I, I just feel for people a lot. I just think so many people, um, go through it. And there's just such a weird support system that we have now because of the way our culture is more structured that I, I think that a lot of people, you know, suffer from a, a real marked lack of feeling known and understood. I really think that that's true. And I also agree with everything that you say about the role of social media and that and technology. And I don't think that we should underestimate how damaging that's been, you know, which the pandemic definitely didn't help <laughs> because yeah. we're all so isolated, you know, yeah. and just wanted to connect. And this is what we ended up with, like how you and I are today, looking at each other through a screen. I wonder if it makes sense to go to the thesis of the album. It's not just me, it's everybody here. Definitely. Yeah, no, I, I think in some ways the pandemic, everybody kind of wanted to lean into the opposite and be like, oh, when the world's open again, We'll all hang out in real life more. We'll all like bring back old school communities and shows and events. And right. But I think everybody just had to lean into their phone even more to kind of make a living. It's like everything that everybody does is so centric around that. So I think it had unintended consequences of people just leaning into it even more. But 
I think people also have become a little tired of it. There's a fatigue you can sense where like even, you know, I hate to use this word, but engagement is not the same as it used to be. Their attention span is tired of the format for sure. Well, maybe we'll get to see the pendulum swing back, which would be amazing. Is there anything you want to tell us before we hear some of it's not just me, it's everybody? I think this one was kind of a sleeper hit. And when I wrote it, we weren't even sure if it was going to make it on the record. But when we recorded it, I was like, you know, this makes so much sense. It's so simple. It's almost stupid, but it's just universally true. And it's something that people need to hear all the time. Not even in, I'm not the only one that might feel this way, but also just this idea that capitalism makes us so cellular and we think we're so independent of everything else. But I think we're all pretty interconnected, especially with nature and the animals around us that you know, even on the climate crisis kind of scope. It's not just me, it's everybody. It's also about everything that's impacted by our behavior. So yeah, I guess it's a little bit of a Buddhist anthem. Sitting at this party Wondering if anyone knows me Really sees who just me it's everybody that kicks off the incredible new album by wise blood natalie Maring here with us on shiro's radio and in the darkness hearts aglow another story that came to me when i was listening to this record was dante's inferno mm. that journey of going into the darkness did you think about that at all as far as like kind of an overall spiritual journey that this album or maybe even titanic rising this one and the one that's coming after might be telling us yeah no i, I felt like this was the dark night of soul one in that it yeah. was like titanic rising was kind of an observation of things to come and then this one is like living a amidst the blare of the alarm, just kind of going off permanently all the time now. It's like kind of going internal is our only choice. And that journey is pretty treacherous. And yeah, like kind of this concept that we all generate our own guidance, you know, in terms of like light and being a glow and being something that can function within that darkness, just fine, just from generating your own light. Because I do think that the way we're all structured to think is that we need something external or outside of ourselves to function or be better, or, you know, attain whatever goal we want. But I think it's more about what's happening inside and in between the eyes. And that is still a journey I learn every day. It's still a very difficult choice to occupy that responsibility, you know? Yeah. And especially when you're doing a job like you're doing too, because the music 
business, the, the <laughs> industry. It's so not that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, and so not centering us and so not centering well-being overall. Somebody just said to me the other day, like, oh, my God, like if a tour bus has tampons in it, I feel so seen. <laughs> <I was like>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So kind of wanted to toss that big ball over to you, Natalie, and ask you about what you think about doing this job as a woman and what's needed. What kind of shifts do you think we need to make in the music business? to make it better for us? Well, I think it's a bigger question. I think capitalism might have kind of perverted feminism in a way where it's like the idea that like we should do it all, like have the career, have the family, have everything. I think it puts too much pressure on women to be everything. And especially in, in the way that it's all structured, it's, it's kind of structured in such a way that it's not actually catering to anybody's sensitivity, even men. Mm. It's kind of a ruthless system. It's even bad for guys, you know, but they're just better at, at shrugging it off or not dealing with it until it's too late or something. But women, I think, because we're just more aware generally maybe of our bodies because of this, the system, there's more hormones involved. It's a little different. So I think sometimes women have a tendency to be more adamant about what is actually humanly healthy and possible versus grinning and bearing it and getting as far as you can for you know, capitalistic gains. So I think it's a greater societal thing. And music is just like a part of that. I don't think that there's anything you can really change about music to make it more female friendly than it already is, because I think it's predominantly female now. And I think that it's been such a big motivation for people to balance that out that more than ever before, if you're a woman starting in music, you have a better chance of doing things more than ever before. And I would say if you're like a white guy starting music, you have less opportunities than you've ever had before. So I don't think that anything needs to be done for the women. I think the door is open and they already have the keys. But the problem is that culturally and societally, capitalism itself is inherently unhealthy for most people. So I guess that would be unhealthy for women too. Right. I can hear that. I mean, I definitely think that there's still some headroom for the patriarchy to dissolve. I don't think that we're totally rid of sexism yet. In music? In music and in general in society. Yeah, I think I'm talking predominantly about music. I don't think sexism is done in society, but I just see based from when I started to play music and now right. it's, it's a huge, huge change. But there's always room for more. I just feel like because I'm more old school, I'm like, wow, it's pretty great now. <laughs> <You know? I'm laughs> well, it's like, funny because that is true. And I talk to women of all ages. Like, I mean, I think my oldest guest was maybe 83 and my youngest guest was in their teens. And so it's been really interesting to like hear from generation to generation, decade to decade, like what everybody's impressions are. I think if you're young too, like yeah. you're, you're more idealistic. So you can come mm -hmm. in with a more fresh perspective of like, mm -hmm. oh, there's still more things that need to be done versus somebody like me who's like, whoa, look at all that's happened. You know, like it's always <laughs> going to be somebody younger coming in and be like, well, no, we can go a little further with this. But for me, I just see it as it's such a dramatic shift that I'm still pretty in awe of it. But 
I think the whole idea of like a curmudgeon sound guy or like the venue people ignoring you, I always got a really big kick out of it because there's nothing better than exceeding anybody's expectations. So they show up, they don't talk to me, they don't pay attention to me. And then I play a kick-ass show and then they like, oh, that was the one to talk to. And that was the one that ran the show. (laughs) And I'd much rather make somebody like that look stupid than come in right off the bat real hot and be like, look, look at me, talk to me. I'm the one, you know, I've always been quiet strength where it's so much more fun to prove somebody wrong later naturally versus show up and immediately make some kind of stink about what's going on. Because I think a lot of those men are failed musicians. I think they would be rude to a lot of people. I've seen them be rude to men too, but it's just hard as a woman. You're just so used to being dismissed that in that context, it feels pretty strong. But I would say that most sound people and venue people are generally cold and whack and and not, you know, the friendliest. And I think that's because they're hurting that they never got to do what they really wanted to do. So And there's your <laughs> empathy again. Yeah, yeah. No, Thank I, you. I have to have empathy for everybody, even the, the weird messed up ones. So. <laughs> do you have a favorite song on the album, Natalie? You know, that's a really good question. I think I really like Hearts Aglow. That one's really fun to play live. Blood here with us on Shiro's Radio. The new album is called And in the Darkness, Hearts Aglow. You said something about feminism, and I think you said that it's become capitalist. Yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit for us? And also, I'm curious to know, would you identify yourself as a feminist? Yeah, I identify as a feminist. I think when I say it's become capitalistic, it's become too focused on being, you know, like a lady boss, like this idea that like being empowered as a female means that you have to have it all, like the career, the money, the independence and all that. And I think that that is cool for some women, but it's not for all women. And I think for me, feminism would fail its mission if it excluded women that wanted to just be mothers or wanted to be something else that didn't want to do all of that. And I think that there's a little bit of a divide and kind of a misconception that feminism is like so specifically that, like kind of the Gloria Steinem, like 70s, like we're empowered, we get to go to work. And that makes sense for that time. But I would say that I feel the pendulum swinging another direction now where I feel like it would be more appropriate if we just accepted all the different varieties including trans women, which I think like a lot of classic feminists are a bit exclusionary about that as well, but to include women who might be a little bit more kind of traditional in their values and and that that is actually a very strong feminine choice as well. And in the 1950s and 60s, it was pretty important to dismantle how oppressive that was. But I think now we're in a different headspace. And yeah, I I wouldn't think feminism is what I thought as a teenager, like pretending to be a man to get somewhere. So I would hope that younger women feel more comfortable expressing femininity and not having to suit it up and, and be really tough 
And I think that that unfortunately became a stereotype of the feminism we saw, like the radical feminism in the 60s and 70s, because it kind of had to be that way. But I I think it's a journey, you know, and I would hope that the pendulum kind of swings back towards like, you know, maybe making all the money and having all the babies and being the boss is not for everybody, you know, (laughs) like it's okay if you would prefer something else. I just find that it's not so black and white. And I think that it involves all different kinds of expressions of femininity. For you personally, what is your definition of being a feminist and doing wise blood in the future look like? I think it looks like just continuing my songwriting narrative journey. And yeah, I mean, I think that I express a good balance of that kind of femininity. I don't know. It's not really something I can call. It's not really Mm -hmm. my choice how people are going to interpret what I do and what they're going to do with it. It's not like I have that much control. So I can only do what I do, which is put out records and sing and write about this stuff. It's been so great to spend some time with you. Thank you so much for being here. I want to take us out with another song off this record. Let's play The Worst Is Done. Thanks once again to Wise Blood. Natalie Maring, thanks again for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Many thanks once again to Natalie Maring for being with us. The new Wise Blood album, And in the Darkness, Hearts Aglow, is available now on Sub Pop Records, and her U.S. tour begins in February. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. We get production assistance from Emma Philippos. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit SheRoseRadio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the She Rose shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at Shiro's Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.